Good morning. It is the fourth week of April. This is your roll-up from Bankless. David, how are you doing today? Absolutely fantastic. It's a great day inside of a great week, and we are going to go through all of the details about why this week was so great here on the Bankless Weekly Roll-Up. Absolutely. So we're going to hit you with the market, releases, news, some hot takes, and then end with what we're excited about. Actually, scratch that. We're going to end with the meme of the week, meme as of the we week. always do. Meme of the week. Got to stay to the end to make sure you get the meme of the week. Of course, this comes out every Friday morning. Enjoy it with your morning cup of coffee. The fastest way to download the week that was crypto inside of your brains. We do this as quickly as possible. David, we're going to get in in one second, but we have to mention... It's Badge Week on Bankless. What happens on Badge Week? Badge Week is where we give away a bunch of cool stuff to people that own Bankless badges. Uh, so if you are a premium member to the Bankless newsletter, you could have the Bankless badge. Maybe you have one already. And if you don't have one already, you can go get yours. Uh, and so go into your email and look uh, look for an email from lucas at banklesshq.com talking about how to redeem a Bankless badge and then go do that. Uh, if you want to get a Bankless badge, but you are not yet a premium member, become a premium member. And then at the first of the month, the first of May, you will get an email to redeem your Bankless badge, which then you can get the Bankless badge because the Bankless badge badge is something that you want to own. We're giving away BAPS, these t-shirts that you see either me or Ryan or sometimes both of us wearing every single weekly roll-up, uh, as well as Ether. We are literally giving away ultrasound <laughs> money. I can't uh, believe we're about to do that. Dude. Yeah. And that's like, just indicative of how badly we want you to get your bankless badge. Your badge is an NFT, of course, that is minted and settled on the Ethereum blockchain. So, so check that out. We want everyone who is eligible to grab the badge. There'll be some links in the show notes too. Okay, David, you ready to get into the markets? Let's do it. This is going to be the biggest market section I think we've ever done this week. All right, let's do it. Markets, let's start with Bitcoin as we always do. How's Bitcoin doing this week? Dude, Bitcoin is having some trouble. Bitcoin's having some okay. trouble. In the last, uh, let's see, in the last 20 hours, there have been two pretty large volatile spikes downwards, down below $52,000. And it just had one right before uh, we started recording just now. Bitcoin is at $53,300, where it, and it's been down below $52,000 twice in the last day or so. Uh, so really just kind of holding on to the bottom of the $50,000 $50, level. Some performance anxiety for Bitcoin. <laughs> I've even seen some uh, newsletter headlines or like news headlines coming out like, oh, is, is Bitcoin going through sort of a, a mini bear market? But that's, that's part of the story. I think the other part of the story is actually the rest of the market in it's crypto hot. is it's doing hot. okay. It's, it's kind of hot. Great. So yeah. what we're seeing here, what I'm looking at here is um, Bitcoin dominance as a percentage of total crypto market cap. Explain this one for us. Yeah. So Bitcoin dominance is if you take all of crypto assets and you get an aggregate market cap of, I think somewhere, where are we? If you scroll up, Ryan, we're at trillions, my friend, trillions, multiple trillions. Multiple trillions, yep. two trillion, two, two trillion. trillion in total crypto uh, market cap, and Bitcoin is only right now at fifty-four percent of that. It has been previously as high as uh, almost seventy percent of all crypto market cap was just Bitcoin, and now we have gone from the recent local high of seventy percent down to fifty-four uh, percent and falling. And what this means is that people are moving down the market cap stack, right? They're going risk on with crypto assets. Uh, and, and the Bitcoin dominance has not been this low since 
2018. And so we are back at 2018 levels of Bitcoin dominance. And this is uh, this is uh, traders like to refer to this as where an, an alt season indicator. I know we don't like the term alt season. It's not a very nuanced term, but it's kind of just a, a way to categorize everything is that when when Bitcoin dominance falls, it because it's because people are working their way down the market cap stack and speculating on lower cap tokens. You know what? I think dominance is going to fall further from here. You know what? J what I'm often amazed at is over the long term, how many things that um, actually, like people, um, get right. I mean, Chris Berninski basically predicted some of these macro cycles previously that yep. every single cycle that we have, Bitcoin dominance is going to start at a um, a lower high, and then it's going to fall to a lower low from the previous cycle. And if you look at this Bitcoin dominance, I mean, it looks kind of like a version, a fractal version of what happened in 2017, mm -hmm. where Bitcoin dominance went all the way down to like 30%-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't be surprised, David, if we see lower lows in this cycle. We'll, we'll have to see how that plays out, but um, that's my anticipation that we're going to continue to see this trend. 2021 is 2017 all over again. Right. And Bitcoin dominance really to me is like the Bitcoin maximalist index. Do you believe that there's going to be one asset to rule them all? Or do you think there's going to be a flourishing of many assets? And part of my personal thesis about this base is that the ERC-20 token on Ethereum democratizes asset access to making an asset just like the the Gutenberg machine democratized access to printing newsletters, uh, the ERC-20 token on Ethereum uh, democratizes access to making assets happen. And, and we are seeing this with DAOs. We're seeing this with DeFi apps. Everyone is issuing a governance token. Like, I think there's going to be a flourishing of assets, and that's going to really push down the Bitcoin dominance. David, do you know what a Bitcoin maximalist might say to this, though, is that this is like a, a scam indicator, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when the market say. gets uh, too hypey, too hot too scammy bitcoin mm -hmm. dominance tends to fall they're not uh, wrong what... <laughs> they're not wrong there's an element of that too uh, mm -hmm. as well there definitely are some projects that um are uh, are are very much vaporware that are pumping these days we'll get to that in a little bit but let's talk about eth because it is doing something different directionally than bitcoin in that it's going up mhm mm yeah, whereas Bitcoin is testing local lows, Ether is in its all-time high season. Uh, and so we just recently, as of today, crossed over the $2,600 mark. We peaked out at roughly $2,650, took a little tumble in the last few hours down to $2,500, and now we are climbing back up to $2,000. $564 at the time of recording. Uh, a nice performance by Ether. I expect continuation. Our big, our Ether Bull podcast that we recorded in like mid December has uh, has been holding up pretty well. And if you recall mm -hmm. from that podcast, we had three Ether Bulls on. That was during more so sober time. So I encourage you to go back in time and listen to those price predictions. The low price prediction from Eric Connor was twenty five hundred. Now we've passed Eric's uh, price prediction. Actually, Barrick, that was him more predicting. Like Eric yeah. Connor. <laughs> We had some other bulls on there who gave ranges. I'm trying to recall. I know Anthony Sasano said yeah. mm -hmm. 10K, and I think uh, DC said 20K. So we're in that range now. Striking distance. Of, yeah, of what well, the not, bulls well, not, predicted. Not, not immediately striking striking distance. We are now above Eric Connor's uh, price prediction. So one what, down. Does this make two you worried? Go. 
that I mean, Eric's pretty pretty predictive, and he's definitely a ETH bull, and we're above his his price predictions for the high. Are you worried about this? So th this is the theme that I've noticed. So I, I have three people in my life that are multi-cyclers, where I and, and me I, I, me and Anthony are just like one cycler, one cycle people. Is that uh, a unicycle? Were you unicyclers? And one thing I've noticed is the longer you've been in the space, the more quickly you are to sell on the way up in this last cycle. And at that at some point, that makes more, more sense. You have more life-changing money sooner. And so there's no you don't really need to wait for the top of the market, like how the unicyclers might want to do that. Uh, and, and so like it, it's interesting, the longer you've been in the space, the more you are selling sooner with lower price targets. Uh, and Eric, Eric has been in Ethereum since day one and was in Bitcoin before that. And so that kind of makes sense. That trajectory makes sense. Um, but you got some fiat goals, you hit them, you're going right. to sell. Yeah, That's exactly. But $2,500 Ether is just complete bearishness in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going up from here is what David says. This is a chart we don't usually talk about on mm -hmm. the rollups, but I think it's worth talking about this time is the ETH Bitcoin ratio. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe we should Zoom take a look at this on five year chart, well, five years. This is the so, first of all, the news here is mm -hmm. that it's up on the one year, right. which means ETH as a proportion of, of Bitcoin from a price perspective is going up. So, ETH relative to Bitcoin is up on two the, and a, like two the and one half year. X on the, on the one year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, I don't often look at this ratio, but it's hanging out at uh, 0.04 right now of bitcoin on the five year though it's pretty low because we hit almost like within flipping distance right. of bitcoin's market cap back in 2017 we're still low from that but it's it's the ratio is on a high like a two year or so high what do you make of this right and so a lot of traders are looking at the eth btc ratio because it is, has made new highs in the same way that bitcoin has made new lows in bitcoin dominance since 2018 ether versus bitcoin is up new highs since bitcoin since 2018 and so that those are completely correlated uh, and a lot of traders i know raul paul uh, recently tweeted out a, a tweet about yeah, how, his tweet yeah right how he just thinks that he is he stares at the eth btc chart and sees um, an enormous uh, rounded bottom with potentially huge breakout just above. And so what people are saying, what people are looking at is the 2017 ETH BTC ratio is where we might head to given an Ether rally, right? In all in, in uh, bull markets, people want tokens and all tokens are on Ethereum and they need Ether to do that. And so the narrative is that people need to buy Ether to play with the tokens. This time's also different. Uh, we also have the triple point asset thesis, the ultrasound money thesis, EIP 1559, the merge proof of stake all happening in the next like 12 months or so. Uh, and so there's definitely a growing amount of energy and momentum behind the ETH BTC ratio. And right now, as we are speaking, the ETH BTC ratio is pushing new highs again, ever since 2018. We, we, we have not been this high for, um, since then. So this means Ether may be catching up to Bitcoin's market cap. It could also mean Bitcoin going down right. as well while mm -hmm. Ether goes up. Uh, which is you, what's which, currently is happening right now, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is currently happening right now. And we haven't seen that in a long time. So this does feel like it is uh, a different season of the market. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about um, what's locked in DeFi. So total locked value in DeFi, that dipped to uh, around like 55 million, mm -hmm. I believe, oh, excuse me, billion 
now it's more recently bounced close to all-time highs. Anything here to talk about? Yeah, I think all-time high is now $62 billion. We're currently sitting right below that. Uh, so all-time high in in, uh, in DeFi Pulse. And something that's new this week in the DeFi Pulse Index that was really exploding on the scene is liquidity. Uh, no, excuse me, liquidity, which is a new uh, stablecoin uh, project that is in, uh, offers 0% interest on your borrowed stablecoins. And the way that they do this is pretty interesting. Instead of paying like a... Uh, like how MakerDAO charges a stability fee, which is a normal interest rate that gets charged over time. Uh, Liquidity offers 0% interest fees, but they charge you they charge you a percentage of your deposits upon deposit. And I believe also uh, retrieval, I think, of your of your assets. I need to clear, clear up my details. Is on this that like one. collateral backed or is Colla- this collateral uh, backed? LUSD ah. is the new stable coin. So die competitor um, LUSD. And there's already 10% of all the ETH that is in locked in DeFi is in liquidity. And this is a brand new uh, project, brand new protocol. This stuff is awesome. Like uh, we talked about Ride before and now liquidity uh, here. What, what's cool about this is this is very fit, very much fits the thesis that we've had for a while around Ether being economic bandwidth mm-hmm. for the rest of the ecosystem. Once you have a store of value that's trustless like Ether on a network, you can build other things on top of them like stable coins and that is exactly what's happening here so that thesis is playing out um all right let's talk about DeFi because it seems like we're moving into eth season maybe right uh what's what's DeFi pulse doing right now the dpi is how we track that that once again is some of the top uh, 12 13 or so DeFi tokens this is uh just tracking them generally we're down a little bit so eth up but mm-hmm. well, actually on the week we're yeah no on the week we're down too mm-hmm. yeah on the week we're down from a, a little over 550 dollars per dpi down to 480 dollars per dpi and i think that's because i think ether's very strong performance over the last two weeks is really scaring people who are perhaps overexposed to the app layer and perhaps forgot about ultrasound money how dare you <laughs> forget about ultrasound money uh and that's what ETH Ether is telling a DPI is like mm, perhaps perhaps ultrasound money is a place to be, and you, you can definitely see this in the ETH DPI ratio as well. Okay, well that's next. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like Ether is maybe sucking some of the oxygen out of the room. So this is the ratio that we look at on a weekly basis, and that that ratio is down too, right? Yeah, it tr- it did have a valiant effort for the last ten days trying to hold that point two. Uh, ratio 0.2 ETH per DPI, uh, but it has fallen down below that at 0.191 Ether per DPI, uh, and perhaps it just continues to fall. There, w- I, I, I'm not again not a trader, not financial advice, but there will be a day where DPI versus ETH rockets off of a floor. It's just kind of a game of uh, who wants to try and catch that knife, uh, who wants to play a little game of chicken be- be- with a falling ETH DPI ratio. You know, it's funny is we're not looking at some of the other assets in these in these ratios too, right? Like, mm-hmm. so if you look at some of the the BNB pumps, the Binance mm-hmm. chain pumps, those are way up. I think even relative to uh, to DeFi tokens, um, and that's uh, that that's not taken into account here. But it definitely seems like Ether is taking some of the the value auction out of the room for other DeFi assets. While we have some of these Binance pumps going on, we'll talk about that in a minute, but. Let's talk about some fundamentals of Ether, David, because not only are we hitting all-time highs from a price perspective, dude, we're Ether is crushing it, uh, the Ethereum network, and Ether as an asset is crushing it from a metrics perspective. I'm going to just zip through four of these. Let's do this. So um, settling more transactions in Q1, Ethereum has 1.5 trillion in transactions than all of 2020 combined. 
So 1.5 trillion transactions Ethereum has settled in the first quarter of this year. Uh, and that is like 3x mm-hmm. on the quarter, more than all of 2020 combined. A crazy amount of settlement going on. Before you this move on to one, the next metric, yeah. Ryan, this eerily reminds me of the Coinbase uh, volumes that they've did, which is a very similar metric where all of Q1 was more than all of 2020. Uh, so that's pretty cool correlation between Ethereum, the network and Coinbase, the company. Absolutely. It all tends to rise together. Okay. So Ethereum exchange outflow, this is a metric I'm particularly excited about, but the bankless um, metric. Ether- yeah, it's coming out of exchanges. So when it goes out of exchanges, there's only one other place for it to go. And that is on the Ethereum network or on maybe a, a layer two that's secured by Ethereum. A lot of Ether is going out of exchanges. That means people are using it in DeFi, maybe to back a stable coin. People are using it uh, as a collateral base for loans. People are just holding it inside of a bankless vault rather than a crypto bank, which I think is pretty awesome as well. This is another all-time high. Number of addresses holding at least one coin on Ethereum hit an all-time high. Um, lastly, I'll go to this. Uh, nothing you can see here, says the poster, only Ethereum active addresses. So every Ethereum address is kind of like a bank account and Ethereum active addresses have just about breached all-time highs as well. Pretty cool. Yeah, I, I see you bankless listeners stacking that ether, being more active on <laughs> Ethereum. Nice job, nice job. Absolutely. It's important that we also use these money systems. We're not just stacking uh, ether for the hell of it. We're actually using these DeFi money systems. Uh, David, speaking of using ether uh, for economic resources, this is ether being used to economically secure ETH2. Our friend Justin Drake just reported that there's 10 billion worth of ether being staked right now. That's four million ether worth in supply, which equates to 10 billion worth of stake. That is the economic security for the future of the Ethereum economy. What what do you want to say about that? And that is also how much Ether is receiving ETH rewards from the beacon chain. Uh, and so proof of stake alive and well for those who want to stake their Ether. This is crazy too. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit, but this is another tweet that um, Justin put out. And he actually linked a spreadsheet, which I'm going to pull up, where he is looking to estimate, I believe, what um, returns will be for those who stake in Ethereum post EIP 1559, which is one part of kind of the ultrasound money thesis. And then also post the um, proof of stake merge where we no longer need proof of work. Did you catch some of did you catch some of these numbers here? Yeah, they they are quite impressive. And when you link together the rewards earned by validators, which are both ether issuance from the protocol, but also tips, and tips could actually be pretty substantial because tips is where minor extractable value gets captured, and so you the only people receiving MEV rewards are stakers. And so you're receiving both issued ether and paid ether. At the meantime, Ether is also being burned. And so uh, what Justin Drake's best guess is, is staking APR, which is the issuance, plus fee rewards, which is MEV and transaction fees, gets you 25% APY on your Ether. I mean, this has to get arbitrage down over time. But at Genesis, this is what Justin Drake thinks is going to be the staking rewards, which is pretty, pretty phenomenal. Yeah, so that means if you stake rather than receive the, what, six, seven, eight percent that you're receiving today, mm-hmm. you're actually receiving 25 percent in Ether as yeah. a reward, mm-hmm. right? Effectively. Yeah. When we also include what is being burned, yes. Mm-hmm. 
And that's going to encourage more people to stake, which is going to in turn lock up more ether. And this doesn't even take into account the supply issuance reduction that is coming with the merge. So you get two things happen simultaneously. You get these massive staking returns, and then you get issuance slashed down mm -hmm. from like four and a half percent all the way to 1% or maybe below, maybe into the ultrasound territory where uh, ether supply is being burnt. Like it's just this, uh, convergence almost like a perfect storm of, of all of these things happening at once <laughs> I, I i don't think people like so how many tweets how many how many uh this got about yeah. 640 like i i don't know how many people understand this david mm -hmm. like even our ultrasound money on youtube i was looking at this early in the week um 16,000 people have viewed it right. and that's great right it's a two and a half hour episode i know it's like movie length right right but at the same time, only 16,000 people right. have viewed it, right? How mm -hmm. many people do you think understand what is about to happen to Ether? I think of, of people that pay attention to this space and know Ethereum, one in 100 people really truly understand the ultrasound money thesis. And think about how many people out there in the world who is like, oh yeah, let's 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 start thinking about crypto. All right, there's Bitcoin, there's this thing called Ethereum, there's Litecoin. These are all the same. Let's 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 uh, so let's alloc allocate all Dogecoin. Let's allocate all these things. So, yeah. <laughs> so many people do not even know what this ultrasound money thesis is. Who are inside of Ethereum and infinitely no, mo more don't know what it is outside of Ethereum. That the ultrasound money thesis and what's being articulated by Justin Drake on his Twitter and in that podcast is, in my opinion, the world's biggest alpha I can think of. It's so it's it, massive. It is it's massive. available to you if you're listening right now. If you're paying like, attention. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so early on this. Let's let's talk about another thing that's early for Ether. Day one of Ether ETFs, at least in Canada. There three, are Ether three ETFs e in Canada. E three of them. That's crazy. Nice job, Canada. And three of them. <laughs> Go Canada. Three of them released on the same day. Mm -hmm. I think one of these is from our friends at uh, Ether Capital, whom we had on the show in December. Mm -hmm. Great um, but it's, it's a pretty good volume on these Ether ETFs, about one-fifth of the volume of what Bitcoin did. But now that there's an instrument, mm -hmm. uh, I think more institutional investors, at least Canadians, will pile in. And of course, if Canada is doing it, the U.S. has got to follow along. Right. Look, David, I don't think that the U.S. So... Let me ask you, if the U.S. approves a Bitcoin ETF, why in the hell wouldn't they approve an Ether ETF at the exact same time? Right. Like we've, they're both commodities now. We've already got statements that they're both commodities. We've already got plenty of conversation about Ethereum related topics in uh, Congress and other, other, other regulatory bodies. If the Bitcoin ETF gets approved, the Ether ETF comes within six months after it. Like, and that's slow, in my opinion. Maybe at the same time. Oh, that'd be crazy. Wow. That, that's <laughs> I don't fast. know. That's fast. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Hester Pierce question. All right. Last note here, David, before we leave markets is actually this Bitcoin price plunge caused a lot of chaos in the markets, at least short term, a lot of liquidations on some positions as well. 7.6 billion in uh, long positions were liquidated in one hour when mm -hmm. it plunged down to 52K. What's going on here? Yeah, this is also true for, for Ether as well, where Ether topped out at $25,000, uh, $25, a little bit above, and then it, and it fell to like 
almost below $2,000 in a very short amount of time. Bitcoin did something very similar and people were uh, just leveraged. Probably perhaps uh, people who are really bullish on the Coinbase news really thought that there was going to be a flood of capital into the space afterwards. So they took on a bunch of leverage. Funding rates were through the roof. It costs you like 40 to 50% APY to borrow USDC from Aave and Compound. And that's because DGENs were going leveraged long. Uh, and then there was, there was a bunch of just like a drama and debate and perhaps like a fake news tweet that really triggered a bunch of fear. Uh, and as a result, there was a cascading set of liquidations uh, that really brought the crypto prices down uh, very, very quickly and liquidated the most amount of capital that has ever been liquidated ever in the crypto markets all in one hour. Um, and the cool thing is, is that we bounce back from it pretty fast, which means that there is capital that is being deployed to catch bids and those bids were caught uh, and then we resumed the being bullish. And so that's pretty cool. And if you want to sleep at night, of course, don't take on excessive margin. Right. You mm -hmm. could be among those liquidations. Right. Crypto is incredibly volatile, of course. Crypto can always go faster and lower than you ever thought it could. And so you need to account for that if you ever take on leverage. That's right. Been through one of those cycles, haven't we, David? Yes, we have. We've done this before. <laughs> All right, guys, there's more to cover in releases. We didn't get a chance to mention what Doge and SafeMoon is doing, but stay tuned for the meme of the week at the end of this episode, and we will. For now, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Balancer is DeFi's most powerful automated market maker. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indexes, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer smart pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we used a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool. To top things off, Balancer is reimbursing all gas costs with BAL rewards, meaning that all your gas costs are returned to your wallet with the Balancer governance token. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the Balancer pools at pools.balancer.exchange. MetaMask is your go-to wallet for the bankless journey. If you're going bankless, you need MetaMask, period browser and mobile, get them both. This is your tool to unlock the world of DeFi. Here's my favorite part. Now you can swap tokens directly in MetaMask with a single swipe. This has got to be the easiest way to trade Ethereum tokens. Choose a token you own, a token to exchange it with, get your quotes. If you like what you see, you hit swap. That's it. What makes swaps so useful is what happens behind the scenes. It compares DEXs, aggregators, and market makers to find you the best price with the lowest network fees and the least slippage. This means you can swap a wider range of tokens, and swaps can even automatically split up your trade to give you access to better liquidity. You don't even have to think about it. Try it out. Download MetaMask for desktop or mobile now at MetaMask.io and start swapping. 
All right, guys, we are back with some releases. The first one is pretty massive. Venmo, PayPal's Venmo, of course, which is an app, a banking app, payment app that many uh, people in the US all over the world have on their phones now allows users to buy and sell crypto. I think Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash are all supported assets. 70 million customers, David. Yeah, that's huge. So much surface area with so many people. And I even already got a message with uh, with one of my friends who I told to buy Ether back at $200. He didn't listen to me. And then now he's like- Because it was hard, probably. Probably because probably it was hard. He didn't have an account, like didn't believe in it. Like who, yeah. who and this was before Ether's pumped. So who the hell am I to give financial advice to this guy? Uh, turns out, <laughs> turns out it was right. But but now he, he messaged me and he was like, well, should I just buy Ether through Venmo? And I was like, well, yeah, you could. Uh, I, th I think you perhaps are going Going to make your way into the world of DeFi at one point in time. So that means you need a real exchange like PayPal or Gemini. But if you want, sure, why not? That's a great place to do it. Um, and so Venmo now is competing with the likes of Robinhood, which is kind of cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I don't think they allow uh, transfers off of Venmo, or mm -hmm. am I incorrect about that? So you don't uh, really yes. get your private keys. Correct. They custody it all. Right. And you can't, you, I don't think you can transfer it from account to account, but I'm sure that that is something that they are going to do because why wouldn't they? They're a payment app. What's crazy about this though is I don't know anyone around me who doesn't have Venmo. Like everybody mm -hmm. has Venmo completely normalized. So uh, now crypto is like this kind of a headline in 2017, once again, David, would have been absolutely yeah, insane. Now here we are yeah. living it. Crypto is being adopted. Um, David, let's talk about this. This is a new feature from Block Explorer Etherscan. Etherscan is just so valuable, it's man. It's crazy um, how awesome it is. It's like a like daily user of Etherscan. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just an amazing tool for seeing everything that happens on Ethereum. Now they are showing what's happening in the dark forest, the MEV dark forest. What do I mean by dark forest, Dave? And what, what are they showing here? Right, so MEV is a very hot topic and we are in the works of making a MEV panel happen, kind of like a, an AMA, so stay tuned for that. We're trying to get Phil Diane on as well as Georgios and also perhaps Charlie Noise, currently in the works, but maybe that's, maybe there's a panel, an MEV panel coming your way in the bankless future. And what's going on is that uh, uh, miners who want to compete uh, to uh, mine a block and also order those transactions in a block, instead of having an on-chain gas war, it's actually beneficial for them to actually just you know, tuck some ETH under the table and send it straight to the mining pool so the mining pool doesn't have to broadcast their transaction. Uh, and while the, that off-chain bidding war can be obfuscated, that tip that is paid directly to the mining pool to compensate the pool for mining the transaction without broadcasting it, that that actually that part can be broadcasted. And that is what Ether is showing us. They're showing you a what happened uh, if there was a transaction that paid a a spark pool or another uh, Ethereum block miner mining pool, if there is a tip pay being paid to them, they will report that. So you can know what is a MEV transaction versus what's not. I think there are a lot of challenges with MEV. It's also not all bad, um, mm -hmm. but the best thing we can do with MEV is make it visible, is actually show it. And mm. um, this is what Etherscan is, uh, is attempting to do with at least a portion of it, really cool stuff. Um, Alpha Hamora, that is a really interesting DeFi protocol we've we've talked about in the past. They just did a V2 relaunch. They, they've had some issues a couple months ago with kind of a, a security breach related to like something the Iron Bank. I think we mm -hmm. were we covered it then. But this new V2 uh, launch, what's that going to include, David? Yeah, a, a bunch of cool cool upgrades. And so there are now LP tokens as collateral. Uniswap V2 LP tokens, perhaps also Sushi LP tokens as well. Um, 
you know, yeah. So Uniswap, the Curve LP tokens, SushiSwap LP tokens, Balancer LP tokens are now collateral inside of of, uh, of Alpha, and so that's fantastic. There's more interest-bearing tokens as well, uh, and so there are other assets that are uh, created. Their interest-bearing uh, uh, derivative of them. That's what the Alpha protocol does. Uh, there's also protocol fees being paid to Alpha stakers, uh, which I'm always a big fan of. If we can get on-chain value flowing towards people that govern the protocols, I always like to see that real, verifiable flow of value to people that govern. And then also, there's even more assets to borrow in inside of the Aave, or not Aave, Alpha system. So uh, congrats to Alpha for getting this out the door. Yeah, I wonder, have you looked at the uh, the IBEF yields from Alpha lately? I mean, last not time lately, I but I like remember 8%. them being very, very high above and beyond what people were getting on the beacon chain. Yeah, and they had a, a large portion of uh, ETH locked up as mm -hmm. well. So that's another sort of hungry ETH money Lego that is just like <laughs> consuming economic bandwidth from Ethereum. Yeah, join the club. Is, uh... I'm also a, an ETH hungry. I'm not a money Lego, but I'm pretty ETH hungry. No, you're a human Lego? <laughs> yeah. That's also ETH hungry? <laughs> All right, let's talk about this one, David. So this mm -hmm. is the um, fourth protocol from Ampleforth. And um, so Ampleforth, sort of a an elastic, a price elastic, mm -hmm. Uh, not quite a stable coin, but I guess it, it, it's been trying to be a, a monetary asset of some sort. Yeah, inventor about of this. rebasing is where rebasing came from Ampleforth. Mm -hmm. Exactly, rebasing. Uh, it's a little complex. We don't have to get into all those details. But if you've ever used Ampleforth in the past, mm -hmm. uh, Ampleforth is releasing a fourth token. So this is a governance token on top of Ampleforth. You can connect your wallet if you've used Ampleforth in the past, you've ever held it, and uh, receive some fourth token. It's a governance token. It has value in Uniswap and secondary markets. Um, not to emphasize this, look, there's like airdrops almost every week. Right. And there's protocols spinning up governance protocols, uh, oh, governance tokens, almost like it's 2017 again. Mm -hmm. So like, I think what's interesting here is like, I've used Ampleforth in the past. I know you have, David, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, what did you do with your Ampleforth claim? Like, what do you do when you receive an airdrop from a, a token of some sort and you have some governance token to claim? What's your process? Uh, yeah, so the only uh, airdrop that I've kept is Uniswap because I'm interested in being a governor of Uniswap and every other airdrop, I sold it for Ether basically immediately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this was no exception no uh, straight it, it was uh, the amount of fourth tokens was more than the gas that it would require to redeem and trade them and so i did that <laughs> so there you go right so um i think this is going to be it's an interesting price catalyst for ether too it's like when these governance tokens are sold what will they be sold for will they be sold for dollars i think in some cases in other cases they might just be sold for eth uh, I did the same with the with a portion of my fourth airdrop. Thank you, Ampleforth. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this real world assets in Maker DAO. Um, we talked about this a little bit on the last rollup where they were being proposed. Now they are actually here. Mm -hmm. What is this and what does it mean? Yeah, there. so there is actually outstanding DAI in the Ethereum ecosystem backed by real world 
collateral. Uh, and so that is just a groundbreaking achievement by the Ethereum protocol at large, but and also specifically MakerDAO uh, and also with our partner Centrifuge. Uh, and so the collateral itself is a real estate uh, loan. Um, and th there's there's some uh, clever engineering going into this. But basically, there's two ways to get a, a collateral on chain. One is you mint a token that is redeemable for that collateral. And another way is you make a, a trust in the nation state meat space. And that trust does one thing and one thing only, which is manage its own assets and then reports back to the protocol that it integrates with. And that's the way that MakerDAO has decided to go. Uh, and so Nick Kunkel, who works at uh, Oracles at MakerDAO, wrote this tweet yesterday. Yesterday was a tectonic shift in finance. MakerDAO is on the bleeding edge of standardizing how DAOs and the legal system will inter interact to connect DeFi to TradFi, that's traditional finance. Real world assets are here and a sign of the growing maturity of DeFi. And so if you don't want the, the Oracle problem or the real world assets or real world to, to uh, digital world in integration is a very hard problem. Ethereum doesn't know what the outside world is. The outside world does know what Ethereum is, but Ethereum doesn't know what the state of things is outside of Ethereum. And so getting real world assets onto Ethereum requires trust. And this is the, a very hard problem that many uh, teams just have just decided to not bother with and say, you know, F it, we're only doing on-chain assets because doing off-chain assets is really, really hard. MakerDAO from day one has been going after hard problems. Uh, they were the first one problem, uh, team to really tackle oracles which is also off-chain data, and now they are tackling real-world assets. And so the fact there is real-world assets backing DAI, and DAI is outstanding in the Ethereum ecosystem based off of real-world assets is absolutely fantastic, absolutely phenomenal. And also, it just unlocks trillions and trillions of dollars of potential yeah, value talk, that, that can David, be added to Ethereum. You use the term real-world assets mm -hmm. a number of times. What are we talking about, real-world assets? What assets? Real estate, loans, bonds, uh, corporate corporate debt, like uh, your your car. Who knows? Like anything that has a real substantial value and a market for it in the real world could, in theory, become collateral inside of Ethereum. You know, it's interesting. Is the most successful real-world asset right now is um, is Tether or usdc mm -hmm. are right. these like stable coins, stable coins. Right. that that's the first asset that's kind of leaked into mm -hmm. the crypto space and blockchain and now we're starting to see other things uh leak into it so i mean the, the real estate market alone is something like 200 trillion dollars yeah, out there insane. and like it's insane property value yeah. seeing that migrate to uh crypto would be super interesting um all right david let's get to the news. I think those were all of our releases. Let's talk about some Ethereum stuff first. So this was a major event. We saw the third, the first gas block on the Ethereum network that exceeded 13 million gas used. And for people who don't actually know what that means, David, could you give us a quick primer on what this means and why this was the first? Yeah, a, a, the size of a block in denominated in gas is basically the size of a block denominated in um, data, right? And so, you know, Bitcoin has the one megabyte hard cap, and that's the size of a Bitcoin block. Ethereum has 13 million gas, and that is the size of an Ethereum block. Uh, and so the, the, re the, the reason why we call it gas instead of data is, is uh, outside of the scope of a weekly rollup. But basically, if you want more computation, uh, you need more 
gas. And so the size of a block in Ethereum is really denoted by the gas used. One of the really elegant things about Ethereum is that miners can choose to vote up or down the block size, the gas limit. And rather than having a rigid and fixed block size like Bitcoin, Ethereum has elected to have a, a consensus by validators or consensus by miners mechanism where if, if miners think that we should increase block size, then then they will all collectively vote for that. And there is ga a game theory as to why you don't want too big blocks or too low blocks. Uh, if you have two big blocks, you uh, there is an increased chance that multiple miners will m make multiple blocks and one of them turns into Ethereum and one of them turns into an uncle with a reduced reward. And so there's a better an equilibrium behind how much or how high block size can go. But what the takeaway is, is that Ethereum block size is allowed to increase up to a certain threshold so long that, they, that the network can handle that increased block size. And so what happened is we went from 12 and a half million gas to 13 million gas, which means Ethereum got that much bigger in scale, half a million more gas in scale. Uh, and so we just increased the throughput of Ethereum by a, a decent amount. Uh, and the cool thing is, is that it can always increase as a function of the underlying computational and bandwidth uh, efficiency of the Ethereum network at large. And so when we see a new higher gas limit, what we are seeing is we are seeing an Ethereum organically increase how much scale it has as a result of consensus by validators. There you go, guys. On rollups, not only do you get the news, you get some tutorials sprinkled <laughs> in there. That was a gas tutorial from our own David Hoffman as well. And of go. course, the gas that David is talking about, like if you've ever done a transaction on Ethereum, you've consumed some gas. So a mm -hmm. transaction that takes a little gas, example of that is if I send ETH to someone else, one uh, ETH from one address to another address. That's the that lowest amount of gas, gas you could ever consume, which is 21,000. Lowest amount. So lowest amount of gas, lowest amount of compute, lowest amount of David, data, as David said, a little bit more is sending a token, a mm -hmm. little bit more is doing a Uniswap transaction, and you can get increasingly you know, complex and sophisticated uh, you know, compute transactions that consume more and more gas. Mm -hmm. So gas went up. That means the amount of trustless compute of the Ethereum network went up. So uh, people are, are wondering, I bet at this point, so, okay, our gas prices going to fall then we have more supply right guys gas price go down well that's no, not necessarily probably the case not. It, people <laughs> why are just is that gonna, not the case because people are just going to consume more of it right it's like oh we go. well price went down i'll just execute my transaction and then boom price goes back up my takeaway here though is that we are consuming more gas per unit time which under eip 1559 means more ether burned per unit time uh so bullish Ooh, bullish burn rate Interesting. Right. I didn't think about that. Increasing That's very the burn fascinating. Rate. Increasing the burn rate. Okay. Um, let's talk about another really cool news item slash release. This is from Dharma. Big fans of Dharma, Big fans of Dharma. these days. You know, the problem they've solved, they've solved, David, is the problem of connecting your traditional bank, your Wells Fargo, your Bank of America, whatever. If you live in the US, you've got this bank account and your multiple steps from getting it into the DeFi ecosystem. So say I want to take advantage of YFI today and get like 14% yield, right? Which is what, what Wiren offers on USDC today. Well, I'm multiple hops away. First, I have to ACH transfer to an exchange like Gemini. Three days. Then from Gemini, <laughs> three days. Then from Gemini, I have to transfer that to MetaMask. And then once it's on MetaMask, mm -hmm. I have to do a series of transactions to get myself into... 
um, to get myself into Wi-Fi. And by the way, I have to have ETH in my wallet in order to pay for those transactions. So it can't just be USDC uh, or mm-hmm. um, you know another stable coin asset. Anyway, multiple steps, just a complete pain. What um, what Dharma solved is like this last mile problem. So one click of the app, and you can do as much as 25k a week from your traditional bank account directly into a wire or an Aave and start earning yield. So not only is it cool for, I think, like more advanced folks, because there's a, you know, a ton of shortcuts here. This is like a go-to tool for, for newbies, mm-hmm. for those in retail who haven't had a first taste of, of DeFi, but like they know that their savings account sucks because right. they're getting basically no interest on it. Um, so it's really cool. Now they're in 50 states. Um, just big fan of what Dharma is doing over there. Yeah, all these legacy platforms like SoFi, which help you just like, you know, get a high interest savings account of one to 2%. Uh, that's all gone comparison to, to Dharma, right? Like the one drawback about Dharma is that they can't solve the gas fee issue. And so if you are, uh, it costs like I think $200 because Dharma's a smart contract wallet to make a trade on Uniswap. But if you can convince your friends to get beyond that, you can show them like, yo, these yields, these like 20% USDC yields on Ethereum, just download the Dharma app. Just like you download the SoFi app, like go go liquidate all of your SoFi assets, go send them in, into Dharma and get, get a much better yield uh, and do it via Dharma, which is a place that they are familiar with, an app on their phone, legacy traditional finance people like apps on phones, DeFi power users probably use MetaMask and desktop. Dharma is now building out DeFi and getting it into people's hands where they're comfortable with it. So I expect a lot of cool things out of the Dharma e- ecosystem in the future. Look, man, you know, the only thing stopping like more adoption of this at this point, David, in my opinion, news. Well, I think that it's just gas fees. Yeah, like, it's gas like fees. you said, right? So Imagine a Dharma, imagine an Argent wallet on layer two, right? right? Yep. Like we've solved these fiat connectivity bank connectivity problems. Then the next thing we have to solve is, is layer two and gas fees. And then this is just going to go absolutely crazy. So I'm right. excited to see what they have in store there. All right, let's talk NFT stuff. Pleaser DAO. You, did you get into Pleaser DAO? I am a member of Pleaser DAO. I'm so what pleased. What is Pleaser DAO? I'm so yeah, I know you are. Uh, Pleaser you DAO is the DAO that came together who uh, wanted to buy people pleasers, the artist people pleasers, uh, X times Y equals K Uniswap V3 announcement GIF uh, and it was, or movie. It was about uh, f- uh, 45, 50 seconds long. Uh, and it ended up going for half a million dollars. Uh, and uh, I was invited to get into Pleaser DAO before, uh, I, before bidding even started. And then I just didn't take the invite. And then I f- f- hard FOMO'd about that. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote an article about it, put it on bank lists, did some interviews, put all that stuff up there and just yelling at the Pleaser DAO, let me in, I want in. Uh, and then Pleaser DAO let, let me in because they needed a, uh, some more capital to purchase the Edward Snowden NFT. Uh, and they once again, Pleaser DAO got into a bidding war and spooked the hell out of the person that they were in a bidding war with because as they ran out of money, more people sent money into the Pleaser DAO like me who needed because they needed the capital. <laughs> And so uh, PleaserDAO literally ran out of money and then people came and sent more money into the DAO. So Wait, they- was it like a capital call? They were like, hey, we yeah. want to do this thing, yep. but we need X more? Yep. 
yeah, and so people reached out to friends, and, and uh, one very generous individual came in with a bunch of ETH uh, and, and sent it into the DAO, and then uh, they won the bidding war against, uh, against whoever they were competing with. Uh, and so now Edward Snowden has said the words, congratulations, pleaser DAO, so they know about the <laughs> DAO. We've been trying to get him on Bankless because now I'm a member of pleaser DAO. Uh, I am a fractional owner of the uh, Edward Snowden NFT, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and I'm, I hope that he kind of becomes, uh, wakes up to the world of uh, permissionless censorship-resistant money in addition to just censorship-resistant press, which I know Edward Snowden is a big fan of. Well, that, that's that's what's cool about the story too, is the proceeds from this NFT don't go to Edward Snowden. They go to this Freedom of the Press organization, which is a, a nonprofit that defends transparency in journalism and defends freedom of speech, right? So we've got mm -hmm. like two sides of the same fight for freedom, mm -hmm. right? Like we've got this fight for speech, um, you know, the, the ability to, to say what you want without uh, censorship, and also this fight for uh, financial uh, sovereignty and um, the ability to not be locked out of the economic system, um, to have self-sovereignty over that. And like, it feels like it's two sides of the same coin and that coin is freedom. So it does feel like there's a lot of common cause with, with folks that are fighting for speech, of which Edward Snowden is one. I hope he goes deeper down the rabbit hole. I've seen him talk about crypto before, yep. but not necessarily DeFi yep. in a knowledgeable way. Like, I don't know that he's used a DeFi protocol. This might be his first experience with DeFi. Right. Yeah. And I think if he read the tweets, he should be clear that what, what a DAO is at this point. If he doesn't even have the, have the deepest understanding, he should know that a collection of people bought his NFT rather than one individual people. And Edward Snowden, I believe, could could be labeled a populist because he's like a by the people for the people type individual. So perhaps that resonates with him. It was bound to happen sometime, David, but while we're on NFTs, of course, the adult industry has gotten into NFTs as well. Looks like uh, Brazers is selling NFTs at you know, at this point, only a matter of time, dude. Yeah. So NFTs are very democratizing uh, technology. And I actually do hope that Brazers is not the entity that capitalizes on the intersection. Because they're of, an aggregator. They're, they're a middleman between uh, yeah. adult entertainment and now perhaps nfts right uh and so if there's any adult listeners or adult entertaining listeners or adult performers or sex workers uh just know that you can use this technology yourself you don't need uh brazers to nft you you can just nft you um but as we all know uh the porn industry uh really likes new technology and they tend to adopt it first basically out of necessity uh, and so now, I mean, everyone's getting into NFTs these days, so maybe Brazers is even late. Um, but I do expect <laughs> the world of adult entertainment and sex work to become a very big, uh, have a very large surface area integration with NFTs. Do you think NFT season is over, David? Are, are some of these like the top uh, markers in your opinion? Uh, I mean, NFTs, the recent NFT season is over, but the next NFT season is like really close. So just season one, just season one, there are, on there to season two. Yeah. On to season two. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk. We're, Bitcoin. we're in the break between seasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Interim. Um, let's talk Bitcoin. Bitcoin mining hash rate dropped. Right. Um, this is something also, and some people were linking this to the Bitcoin price drop as well. I'm like, it's hard, you know, I don't know, maybe you can make those links, maybe not, but for sure. Bitcoin's mining hash rate dropped as blackouts were instituted in China. I, I haven't followed this super closely, but what, like, where did the blackouts come from? Are these um, actions by the government, or is this kind of like you know natural causes, or what? 
Where did the blackouts come from and what happened to a Bitcoin hash rate here? Yeah, this was a top-down choice for, by the Chinese government to implement a blackout. I don't know if we have um, a con concrete details as to why. There's speculation about a coal mining accident, so there's re just reduced ability to produce power. But either way, there was a, a, an elimination of electricity to a part of China. And as a result of this, 25% of Bitcoin hash power dropped off the network. And what this means wow. is that 25% of Bitcoin hash power is located under one single energy grid, perhaps supplied by one single energy source. If that, that to me spells fragility, right? That's the, not awesome. The Bitcoin blockchain is still going. There's nothing wrong with it. It still produces blocks. It has the difficulty adjustment. It's just readjusted and now it keeps on going. Blah, 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 blah. Doesn't matter. 25% of Bitcoin's computational capacity lives under one energy grid. That to me is centralized fragility. And that's not something that we want in our long-term blockchain. Now, did it bounce back after that outage, David? Uh, no, it's not back yet. It had uh, some, I'm sure there are other ASICs that have turned on to help compensate, but there's, imagine just how much supply of ASICs are in that one zone that are still under the blackout. This is Nick Carter, um, who is very data-driven, also a mm -hmm. big proponent of proof of work. Some people, he said, said it was more like a 40 to 50% drop. This is false. Based on five days of data, it looks like 25%. Mm -hmm. um, but oh my God, 25%. 25% a quarter of your blockchain? That's a lot. Like if it was 50%, I would be freaking out. Right, Like. Yeah. Um, if it was 50%, back... that would mean 50% of the Bitcoin hash power is located under one energy grid. Holy shit. Um, this goes back to part of the, the conversation from our ultrasound money mm -hmm. podcast with, with, um, Justin, Justin Drake. Drake. Yep. There's mm -hmm. so many, so many hidden things there, but one of them was, uh, the stealthiness of mm -hmm. proof of stake compared right. to proof of work. And it comes out kind of here, right? Like you can see the, um, the, the power footprint, the energy consumption footprint on any electrical grid that Bitcoin exists on. So it's not very stealthy if there was a third party who wanted to take out some of that, the Bitcoin hash rate, there are some key electrical grids that person could attack and mm -hmm. probably accomplish that. Mm -hmm. Whereas proof of stake provides the ability to hide. Essentially, there's not any profile that that's sitting out there on electricity grid. And so could be a bit harder to shut down, much harder, it mm -hmm. seems, than something like this. If you have decentralized validators all across the world that just look like regular everyday consumer laptop grade uh, computers that are connecting to the internet. Right. And we just have to remember what this whole industry is. This is a digital finance revolution, right? And it, to me, like there's no concrete connection here, but to me, something with a physical footprint in the world is not digital by definition. What is digital is proof of stake, where if your computer with that's running your node explodes, your ether still exists and you can go get it and move it to a different computer. Your ether doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Therefore, Ethereum security doesn't actually exist anywhere in the physical world. It only exists in the digital world. Uh, and so there's, there's no place of Ethereum security. There's no geographic place where Ethereum finds its security, unlike proof of work. David, I still want to have that bankless debate podcast that's mm -hmm. like proof of work on this side from somebody who can articulate the position and proof mm -hmm. of stake on this side. We've got to have that. I feel I like that, that conversation needs to be had. I don't know of any other Bitcoiner who could do that other than Nick Carter. Nick Carter, if you're listening, mm -hmm. love to hear more from you on that subject. Okay, uh, let's talk about regulation. There are two things maybe to talk about here and they're related. The first is um, Jean Carlo 
So the former Chris, Christian Carlo used to call him crypto dad, actually, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. he worked at the CFTC and was very pro crypto, Advocated was kind of a, yeah. mm -hmm. an advocate against like that, what the SEC was doing. He has now joined the board of BlockFi, which mm -hmm. of course is um, a crypto bank that uh, I've used in the past, um, you know, based in the US. Uh, they, you can lend your crypto and they will offer interest rate. Um, also, we have this news that um, Brian Brooks, so he- Self-driving banks guy. Self-driving banks guy. We've, we've referenced that article in a number of podcasts. Office of the Comptroller of Currency under Trump. He left that position several months ago. He's now going to become the CEO of Binance US. Okay, former regulator becoming uh, on the board of a crypto bank. Another former regulator on the board of Binance US, both US-based companies. David, it sounds like crypto banks are playing the regulatory capture game. They're getting mm -hmm. their lobbyists. Mm -hmm. They're getting their former regulators the same. They're playing the same game that traditional banks uh, play as well. And other industries play as well. This is regulatory capture. I'm not necessarily saying it's like a bad thing that they shouldn't be doing this. We definitely need some of that firepower, right. but what does this say to you? Yeah. I mean, centralized crypto banks have are flush with cash and they are ready to make moves like this. I'm kind of bummed that Brian Brooks, who coined the term uh, self-driving banks, ended up at not a self-driving bank, ended up at a crypto <laughs> bank. Um, but uh, again, this is good for the industry because we have advocates for us now in the industry. Like we want these people, we want to integrate with these people who have influence with regulating bodies. It also makes a ton of sense that Binance as an entity and, and like we can talk about the difference between Binance US or non-Binance US, the global Binance, but at the end of the day, it's one Binance, right? It's, it's one company. Uh, and they really need regulatory protection because of all the nefarious things that they're doing that are extremely <laughs> regulatorily gray. Uh, and so it's probably a very good defensive move for them to bring on Brian Brooks onto, uh, onto their board because they need that sort of like extra defense. Absolutely. We're definitely seeing uh, crypto sneak into the you know, the, the areas of, of U.S. Uh, uh, regulatory. I think that's a good thing for the industry. I just hope, David, that this is not where we end up mm -hmm. with a bunch of crypto banks um, who have kind of, <laughs> they, they have the regulatory support and they're basically just like the old banks uh, that, right. that uh, we used to have. Hopefully we get to this self-driving bank concept with DeFi and are less reliant on these centralized intermediaries. Although, they are a great bridge, as we said before, into the DeFi landscape. David, we're going to be back with some takes. I know we've got some hot ones this, hot week, takes this week, but first, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. 
Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the hottest takes in crypto on the week. The first is from Arthur Hayes. Is Arthur Hayes bullish on ETH, David? Yeah, super, super bullish, As which is crazy because if you know Arthur Hayes, Arthur Hayes is the CEO of BitMEX, who has been uh, recently on the run for a while, not quite on the run, but just like uh, not yet arrested by the authorities. Uh, he was, I think he did surrender to the authorities and now he is waiting trial or something. I don't know. Meanwhile, while he's awaiting trial, he wrote this extremely bullish piece on Ether and why he's so bullish on it, which is in stark contrast to what he was talking about Ether in 2017, where he called Ether the mother of all shitcoins. A lot of people didn't believe in, in <laughs> double 20, digit shitcoin. Yeah, double digit Do you remember shitcoin, when yeah. we were dropping into the like the 90s and 80s? He just like threw he kept, kept, yeah, mm -hmm. kept yeah. at it, man. Yeah, Arthur Hayes uh, has been called one of the most savage people in crypto. Uh, and perhaps that's why he's uh, under arrest or uh, wherever awaiting trial. Um, and, and, but he wrote this extremely bullish piece on ether. Uh, and I think there's some, perhaps some fun numbers in here. Uh, but really the takeaway is not necessarily the accuracy of the data, but the complete 180 by a very influential, influential individual from being an ether bear to an ether bull. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about Arthur is his persona is very much, I'm a profit maximalist. Yes. Like he will make money no matter what market condition you're in. And he'll support mm -hmm. anything that maximizes profit. Liquidating right? so, his own customers, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the time, um, trashing Ether, like was in. that was a profitable uh, move, mm -hmm. like short Ether. And mm -hmm. by the way, short Ether on BitMEX, because right. then I'll make money while you make money. It sounds right. great. So I'm going to push that narrative. Well, now he's flipping on that, which is super interesting. But He's always been what he's always been, which is kind of a trader, profit maximalist at at, uh, at heart. I actually read everything he writes because he's actually a fantastic he's writer a, too. A writer. And it's a really interesting perspective. But I want to just show off like this in the article. Dude, so he was doing, uh, he, he was trying to model the uh, price 
the the fair market value of ether as an asset based on it being a capital asset based on its ability to continue to create like to produce transaction fees right and we've talked about in the triple point asset thesis how ether is a store of value how ether is a commodity you know for gas how it's a capital asset throw those first two out He's not even talking about Ether as a store of value. He doesn't necessarily believe that. He's not talking about it as a commodity. Who cares? He's talking about its raw ability to be a capital asset, to produce um, you know, transaction fees and revenue on the platform. And he's getting to a uh, market cap, and this is based on the percent of the percent of of, of traditional finance that DeFi actually captures, right? So it's mm -hmm. a very rough proxy here. Um, but he gets to an ETH price, David, of not 20,000, that's only if it captures half a percent of the world's traditional finance. But all the way to the top, if it captures all of traditional finance, a $4 million price of ETH. Right, this so, is so like... this is under the conditions where Ethereum is the economy. So when we when we say like, oh, the economy, people are just talking about Ethereum. There's literally zero, Everything settled zero on economic activity that is not on Ethereum, which we are not at all close to. Uh, maybe one day when I, I'm at a boomer age, that is when that happens. Um, but Arthur Hayes decided to model this out. And he said, what happens if Ethereum is economy, then Ether should be worth $4 million, which is just absolutely insane. And he goes down. So if it's if it's one percent of the economy, then uh, ether should be worth forty thousand dollars. Now right? that so starts to be a little bit more chart. reasonable. I can get behind. It's that. just like I don't understand. I would have never thought that going into twenty twenty, we would have seen an article on uh, ether that would be more bullish than anything we've ever mm. published on Bankless. Like this is this is crazy <laughs> to me, but it's uh, interesting flipping nonetheless. Yeah, Ryan, um, we got We got to get more bullish. We're getting outdone by. Arthur I can't. Hayes. I can't do that, man. Four million dollar <laughs> price of ether. What does that even mean? Yeah. That means like fiat has gone down the toilet. Yeah, exactly I don't know, that means that something means. else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this. Um, I love this, this is one. Vance Spencer. Okay, so why don't you take this? This is Coinbase in five years. What does Coinbase in five years look like, hypothetically? Yeah, so Vance Spencer, before I get into his take, he is a DeFi bull. He did one of our best performing podcasts ever, which is the bull case for DeFi. And so Vance is coming at what Coinbase could look like from a DeFi first perspective, perhaps not from a crypto bank perspective. And so here's his take. Uh, here's what Coinbase is in five years. Probably no order book. Trades are routed to open source liquidity where they uh, LP, where they provide liquidity. Uh, and then they focus, Coinbase focuses on front end slash regulatory slash staking slash custody. And then they earn most of their income from LPing and staking the native tokens of DEXs. And then Coinbase just primarily serves as a wallet for users. And then uh, Vance uh, characterizes this as a asset light version of Coinbase, light on assets, heavy on just interactions with customers, kind of just like a DeFi mullet phenomenon where Coinbase just provides the custody and the interface and then everyone else just you and it all it does is a one massive DEX aggregator for all of Ethereum. Um, I don't think we, we asked uh, our, our state of the nation guest, uh, Jeff Dorman, if he thinks that this is the direction of Coinbase and he gave a very different one. But I think it's a good, a good thought experiment, a good mental model for what could be. This is almost a DeFi maximalist take on yes. what Coinbase will evolve to in yes. the future. And I think, uh, David, the truth might be somewhat in the middle here. Mm -hmm. But I do think that what Vance is talking about, a lot of this absolutely could come true, especially if DeFi itself at the protocol layer, if the protocol sync thesis pans out and um, DeFi protocols like Uniswap and Aave and Compound and all of these like trustless primitives at the base layer, if they attract the most liquidity, then you know crypto banks 
will have to essentially tap into these liquidity sources in order to maintain, uh, you know, in, in order to be competitive. And in that world, they just serve as sort of a fiat bridge. Um, I don't know that we'll get there. I do think that there's a lot of juice to squeeze in just the custody side. And if you've seen like, you know, Coinbase's assets under management, it continues to increase. And I think a lot of people still um, want the easy button and will trust the the custody of Coinbase. Uh, and like Coinbase will create a lot of other offerings that are independent and more competitive with, with DeFi. So maybe somewhat the truth in the middle, but I think that vision is super interesting. Yep. Agreed. Binance is a short-term game. Let's talk about why Binance, at least Binance chain itself, not the exchange necessarily, is a short-term game. Here's some numbers to back it up. David, what are we looking at? Right. So uh, this is actually really convenient that we are uh, talking about this right after we gave our little lesson on gas earlier. Uh, And so what we are looking at is BSC scan, which is already a fork of Etherscan, just like how Binance Smart Chain is a fork of the EVM and Geth, uh, which is Ethereum's first client. Uh, Binance scan is just a fork of Etherscan. So really nothing original going on here. Um, But we are looking at the uh, gas limit for Binance Smart Chain. And we saw we saw the gas limit for, for the Ethereum at 13 million gas, which is its all-time high. It took forever to get there. Binance Smart Chain just went from 30 million gas, where it's been already insanely high, all the way up to 45 million gas. Uh, and that's, if you're wondering why the Binance Smart Chain is free, uh, almost free and cheap and instant, it's because they have so much more, so massive block sizes. And there's a reason why we can't just increase block sizes because if our block sizes get too big, then we have a more centralized network. We already have a super centralized network in Binance Smart Chain with only 21 nodes. But the thing is, is that if you increase the gas, how much data that is going through the chain per time, you increase the total size of Binance Smart Chain really, really quickly. And so right now, Binance is putting on like terabytes every month or so, which is too big, too big to be centralized. We already know that they are willing to give up centralization, but at some point the blockchain actually collapses because there's no block propagation because no one can keep up with the chain. Uh, And so if you are thinking that Binance Smart Chain is a blockchain, it's not. Uh, At some point, this this blockchain is going to get too big. And if they want it to continue, they're going to have to checkpoint it, which is basically like a save game, delete all of the history, and then move forward from that point if they want their blockchain to continue. And at that point, again, the whole inevitable question about Binance Smart Chain is why don't, why just you just do it on the website? Just do it on your database. Just have one node. It's easier if you just have one node. Very, very well said, David. So much of this is like decentralized theater in, mm-hmm. in Binance land. I've had people tweet at me when I when we talk about this sort of thing, just saying things like, well, yes, Binance chain is, is centralized now, but it's going to become more decentralized in the future. Mm-mm. No, it's not, Mm-mm. guys. Mm-mm. I mean, this is like a pipe dream. We are going the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. There's no physical way it can become more decentralized because the hardware required to actually run the chain and be a validator in the node is just increasing at an exponential rate. And to your point where this maybe at some point this whole thing collapses in on itself, oh, I'd say shit. two things. It's already at 58 million. That chart was old. Uh, we said it's we said it topped out at 45 million. No, it's at 58 million. Wow. <laughs> okay, this is that, a chart and that chart's from only two days, two days old. <laughs> oh, wait, does it's it keep on going? Go up. Is there another one below it? Well, uh, I don't know. It's of course it's going to keep on going. You know, as as people know, people demand this is average oh, um, gas okay. limit chain. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, 
So, so two things. One, we've seen this play out already. It played out in 2017, 2018 with a chain called EOS. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon, no one could run it aside from the largest validators, multiple terabytes in, in size. Um, chain analytics companies like Coinmetrics could barely run the thing in order to extract the data. Like, and that's their job. Massive centralization. Yeah, that's their job. Okay, so that's, that's one. Um, the second is, here's the developer, David, of Geth. The right. thing that Binance chain like forked and took, here's the guy that actually engineered it, Peter. Um, he said, I don't want to wish ill on anyone, but Binance chain is pushing their chain harder than what he thinks Geth, the client that he helped build, can handle. It's nice when the chain is empty, but once you pile enough data, uh, Geth is going to reach its limits. Mm -hmm. The thing's going to collapse. The thing's going to explode, right? So look, we don't say this type of thing, David, because we hate Binance chain right. or because we're like maximalists for any chain. Like if I'm a maximalist, David, if you're a maximalist, we are bankless maximalists. Mm -hmm. We're about decentralization and truly self-sovereign money systems. And what's happening on Binance chain, I'm just going to be honest with everyone. Like it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. It's this already is a running classic, out. It's already running out. This is a classic short-term game. And the, the only beneficiary of the short-term game are people in the short run, uh, probably a small percent, that own BNB token, right? Um, so mm -hmm. this is why I'm not a fan of Binance Chain. You're not a fan of Binance Chain. It's about long-term games. We're building something for the future, future generations. Right. We're not building something that can only last like months and years and pumps and then dumps and like, retail is left picking up all the scraps uh their rant over we, we get a lot of, of flack sometimes because we talk a lot about ethereum uh because we both think ethereum is really really cool and people are like well why don't you talk about cardano why don't you talk about binance smart chain uh ethereum's got high fees it's 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 killing me on the fees but binance smart chain is serving our needs the reason why we don't talk about those things that much is because we've seen this before We've already seen this play out with EOS, right? And Cardano is seven years old or something and doesn't have an app layer yet. And so like some of these things, like we have already seen come and go. And sometimes you just need to be in crypto for a full cycle to really comprehend and understand it. And I feel like that's a big difference between listeners who have bankless who are confused as to why we don't appreciate Binance Smart Chain and those who have been in Ethereum for more than one cycle. People who have been in crypto for more than one cycle don't aren't confused about these things. It's complicated to learn. It takes a while. It took me a while. I was convinced by the EOS narrative back in 2017. I literally bought EOS as a hedge in case EOS was the, the thing that happened. And then in hindsight, I was like, oh, well, that was dumb. Um, but it just took me a while to learn that. And I think that people are going, it's going to take perhaps not actually that long for people to learn that about Binance Smart Chain because they are just growing their state way too large. Um, but we'll see what clever engineering CZ cooks up to, to route around this. At the end of the day, uh, it's, it's, it's an open secret that CZ made Binance Smart Chain because he knew DeFi was going to come eat its lunch, which from a business profit maximum perspective is probably a good move. Yeah, absolutely. David, uh, brace yourself, man. You're going to get a lot of reaction on Twitter for some of those takes. <laughs> well, did you see the, the reaction that I got on Twitter when I when I said uh, perhaps Cardano is a blatant scam on the Wolf of Wall Street podcast? Because that's already happened. Yeah, I did. Look, I did. Right. So um, scam is an interesting word choice. First of all, I'll say that. But I, said, I, I said agree perhaps. with. Oh, OK. Well, then I'm fine with it. I mean, possibly. <laughs> So, it, but but here's the thing where, where I saw a lot of that reaction and like, I know you, both you and I are keen observers of crypto communities to see what's really there and there. It's like, mm -hmm. there's so many bots in in these these community armies, right? Mm -hmm. There's bots and then there are like, I don't know, just call it like retail moon boys, like people who are just about the price 
and will not like debate you on the merits of, of anything. They don't know why they bought. They just know they bought and then price went up. So they've doubled down on their conviction. Um, a lot of these communities are fairly hollow and Cardano proved me otherwise, but I'm not sure like from a community perspective, if there's a lot there, but definitely I think we both keep an open mind on some of this. Oh, you're pulling up a tweet. This is a tweet I tweeted about the compilation of communities. Uh, when there's 20% moon kids, 79% bots, and 1% puppeteers getting rich, your community has a problem. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some communities like that out there. That's why, you know, we just try to call it like it is on Bagless. Yep. All right, David, that's over. Let's talk about this one. This was a good thread on r slash Ethereum. Give a man a steak and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to steak and he eats forever. What's the lesson here? Right, and so uh, the, <laughs> the, the we all know the metaphor, teach a man to fish versus give a man a fish. And basically what the, my takeaway here is that if you give someone some ETH, they'll spend it over time. But if you give some man an ETH and teach them how to stake it, they'll have steak for the rest of their life. Uh, and that's the whole promise of proof of stake. You put your ETH principle up and then you can just live off the dividends. And this has been my game plan since getting into crypto from day one. I was like, oh man, geez, proof of stake. If I buy enough ether, I can just live off of the dividends. That has been my plan since day one. Still my plan, <laughs> eyes on the prize. I am trying to teach the world through Bankless. That's what we're trying to do, to teach people how to stake so they can live off of their ETH dividends and experience financial freedom and do the things that they enjoy and improve their lives and the lives of those around them if they, if they teach people how to stake. And I, I love this. I love this takeaway. So uh, David, thanks are, to Georgie are, on our Ethereum. Are you never sell gang? Are you part of the never never sell club? Uh, I'm definitely going to try and sell the top, but not with my whole stack. Absolutely not with my whole stack. Um, and so I'll try and sell the top a little bit, but there's definitely a very healthy proportion of my stack, like two thirds of it, that it will be in, in the never sell category for sure. If you don't need the money, why not stake? That's what a productive asset gives you. I think it's a fantastic point that, uh, again, if you realize, um, let's talk about this. Three havings capital. This is from um, Suzu. Suzu. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Suzu. So uh, what is what is three havings capital? What's this a play on? Yeah, it's a play on three arrows capital, which is the, the very famous market moving uh, capital firm between Suzu and uh, Kyle Davies kind of known as three chads capital as well. Uh, and so he's uh, retweeting a tweet from that, that uh, everyone in the Ethereum ecosystem really, really liked. And I think we should go through this tweet as well. So let's start at the top. Uh, this is from Squish Chaos, interesting name. And he says, he or she says, uh, net annual buying pressure, in quotes, doesn't make the point. In a halving event, BTC miner sell pressure drops 50%. It causes all hell to break loose amongst the Bitcoiners. And then he asked the question, what does that look like for ETH? Uh, and so what this is saying is that Bitcoiners rally around the halving. It's like a four-year ceremony of a halving. And the reason why Bitcoiners rally around the halving is because that means that miners are receiving half as much Ether, therefore, or Bitcoin. Therefore, they can only sell half as much Bitcoin, which makes Bitcoin more scarce. And the same phenomenon is happening under proof of stake where instead of issuing 4.5% of Ether supply per year, it drops down to perhaps just 1%. Uh, and so this is where this uh, triple halvening comes in, this three halvening, because we are uh, speed running Bitcoin halvenings 
by proof of stake, where uh, we we are going from uh, we are cutting issuance down to tw roughly 12 and a half percent of previous issuance. Uh, and so continuing the squish the, uh, chaos thread, he says or she says post merge. ETH sell pressure will drop by 90%. For BTC sell pressure to reduce by that much, it takes three halvings. I'll repeat, Ether will undergo the equivalent of three halving events in the next 12 months. Uh, and so if, if Bitcoiners just get over the, over the moon about every halving that comes, this is why Ethereans are so incredibly stoked about proof of stake and the merge. And that's not even including about ether burn because of how much supply reduction is going to happen as a result of staking. Awesome. This is all riffs on the same thing that we've been talking about, ETH as ultrasound money. These are all different ways to view it, all different ways to say it. And as we made the comment earlier, I feel like the, the market does not appreciate this. Very few people understand this at this yeah. point. All right, David, let's get to excitement time. What are you excited about this week? Uh, continuing on that same line of reasoning, I'm excited about the triple point asset finally being priced in. I think that's perhaps what we are seeing right now in this ETH outperforming basically most other assets except for Dogecoin. Um, <laughs> the triple point asset I think is becoming priced in. Uh, that's what people are understanding when they say uh, a, a three halvings all at once. That's what people talk about when they say the ether burn rate makes ether uh, deflationary from EIP 1559. And we already touched on this. We touched on those two things. And we also touched on how staking rewards can be 25% APY denominated in ETH terms at genesis of the merge, which is the Ether capital asset. People are finally understanding the Ether, the triple point asset thesis. It took them a year and a half. It's been a year and a half since, since I did that, uh, that presentation at Tel Aviv and, and then put out the article in Bankless. Um, and so those who have been paying attention to Bankless for the last year and a half, you've known this is coming. Congratulations. Hopefully you're, you're among the early few. Um, but finally, I think we're seeing the early days of the rotation into Ether, the asset, because the Ether, the triple point asset is finally being understood and integrated by the rest of the market. Absolutely, man. Yeah. It, you know, my the thing I'm excited about kind of does a riff off of yours. So let me just say that to kind of uh, round out your thought there. Nice is it just it, it feels really great when a plan comes together, right? <laughs> like I feel like um, when you put ideas out there and like we don't get everything right. Let's let's just be completely clear. There are things that we miss. There are things that we get wrong. We don't get everything right. But some of the big ideas that we've put out there as part of the Bankless platform. Are starting to work out mm -hmm. like it feels like they are more certain now much more certain now than when we first published them and we didn't really know if if they were going to happen or not so triple point asset is one of those so is the entire bankless thesis this idea that we are on the brink of creating this new parallel self-sovereign money stack like DeFi has worked out david three years ago it wasn't obvious that any of these things we're going to work. And now here we are in the very start of product market fit for DeFi. And now it just has to hit the accelerator and scale. Um, another thing we talked about, idea we've talked about so much is the protocol sync thesis, right? With, with uh, crypto banks and like traditional banks having to use the most trustless and permissionless protocols available to them, whether that's a settlement stack like Ethereum or whether that's a, a DeFi protocol like Uniswap and Aave, that's starting to happen as well. Protocol sync thesis, like the fact that Uniswap has exceeded the volume 
of Coinbase sometime uh, multiple times in the last 12 months. That is protocol sync thesis playing out. DeFi mullet is another idea that, that we've talked about. Uh, ultrasound money now is a more recent uh, narrative that we've just used to describe what is happening with the three happenings that you were just mm -hmm. talking about with, uh, with Ether coming up. All of this is- we, And we've it, also it talked like, about almost every single one of these inside of this weekly rollup. If we wanted to, we could go back to the, the Vance Spencer Coinbase take and say, that's the DeFi mullet. Dharma, that's the DeFi mullet. Yeah, and I don't want to like, look, I, I don't think, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back because not just Bankless, David does, <laughs> but like a lot of, like to be fair, there are there are many other people who've, who've gotten this right, but it's just cool to see uh, a plan working out. It's cool mm -hmm. to see that, that directionally, this thing that we weren't too sure of, like we think this is how it's going to play out, is mm -hmm. actually playing out. Right. Like for all of the things that we've gotten wrong, we have gotten some things wrong. The big things, I feel like we've gotten right. Uh, and this 2020 run so far, and everything that's happened, whether it's price or whether it's news and other things, have been evidence of that. So I'm just excited. And more than that, look, not just excited. I'm like, I'm like grateful. I'm like grateful to be in crypto <laughs> Sense of relief. at this time. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Could have been real wrong on this. Could have led a lot of people like down the wrong path. Mm -hmm. uh, could, could be four years into bankless and be like, you guys, the triple point asset, I swear yeah, it's, yeah, coming. it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> coming one yeah. day. <laughs> this ETH thing is going to be real big. Trust me. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm just grateful to be here. And that's the thing mm -hmm. is uh, the last thing I'll say on this is there's a tendency during bull runs to look around at the crypto portfolios around you and like compare it to other people, right? Like there's always somebody mm -hmm. who has gotten in earlier than you have, right? But comparison is the thief of joy. That's absolutely true in crypto. Yep. You're here, you're early, you're among the first like 1% who knows this. You're among the first like, I don't know, fraction of 1%, mm -hmm. some tiny fraction of 1% in the world who know about Ether uh, as an asset. Like. Be grateful for that. I'm mm -hmm. grateful for that. It's awesome to be here. This community is great. Um, just really excited about the future and uh, and grateful. Yeah. And uh, that, so don't. Yeah. Go ahead. And perhaps to tie a bow on that, that's a, a good reminder that don't mess up a good thing. Uh, and on the Bankless uh, newsletter on Monday, we talked about uh, traps that people fall into, and a lot of it had to do with people FOMOing because uh, perhaps perhaps uh, you, the listener, just got into the Bankless Podcast or Crypto at Large in the last few months and you're like, oh my God, I am so behind on everything. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knows more than me. And by definition, yeah. if you're just getting into crypto, you don't know anything. You have to com come in with a, a blank slate and an open mind and you feel like you're behind. And I felt this in 2017. I'm like, oh my God, there's so much technology I don't know about. Like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to make it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if you understand Ether as ultrasound money, you are in the 0.1% of the people that know about Ethereum, well, maybe not, know about crypto that understand Ether as ultrasound money. You don't have to play with leverage. You don't have to get out over your bootstraps. You don't have to risk your rent money. You just need to be responsible and it, the Ether will do the rest. Responsible and then be patient, guys. And, and patient, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well said, David. All right, let's get to it, man. Moment, The moment we've been waiting for. Meme of the week. The meme of the week. Meme of the week. Do you want to explain this one? Let's do it. Uh, well, so this is your this is your uh, your uh, meme. But if you want me to explain it, I will happily do that. This is a yeah, a, a favorite movie of mine. Uh, I think this is the first Spider Man, Tobey Maguire and uh, Kirsten Dunst. Uh, um, and so it's three panels. Here we go. Um, and Kirsten Dunst is turning to Tobey Maguire and goes, "Tell me the truth. I'm ready to hear it." 
Uh, and, oh no, this is the third Spider-Man where Tobey Maguire tells Kristen Dunst that he's Spider-Man, I think. Anyways, uh, Kristen Dunst <laughs> says to, Sp- uh, to Tobey Maguire, tell me the truth, I'm ready to hear it. And Tobey Maguire says back to Kristen Dunst and says, it takes more than 15 seconds of a TikTok video to understand the crypto asset you just bought. And then the panel goes back to Kristen Dunst and she's just crying of tears of sadness. <laughs> you made this meme, Ryan, and it's a fantastic meme. Nice job, but what does it mean? I just, I just feel like some people needed to hear that this week, especially with like, um, all, all of these assets on TikTok pumping. And, you know, I almost feel like, um, I almost feel like, a, like an elite baby boomer has never heard of crypto. Cause I don't even, what are some of these assets? Like, um, safe, safe moon. moon, safe moon. What is safe moon? <laughs> it's clearly something there? that's going to moon safely. Of course, Ryan, it's in the title. I get texts and people asking questions about like safe moon and I have no idea what's happening. Like here's the lesson here. And this is a lesson for everybody who, um, before they invest, like you can't possibly learn about an asset class and have conviction in what you're buying in like a 15 second TikTok video. Right. So just because some influencer is shilling it, just because you like the memes, do you know actually what you're buying? If you're new to crypto, my encouragement is you, you just you buy Bitcoin, you buy Ether, and nothing else until you understand what you just bought and why. Start there. Be patient. Like we can't we can't be a TikTok investing generation. I'm not saying like I love I love Twitter, I love TikTok for meme propagation, these sorts mm-hmm. of things. But don't think you can possibly understand a trans a, like something you just bought with um, you know, somebody sharing a, like a 15 second video. And right. there's a lot of that going on right now. Uh, and um, look, I know that's nobody listening to Bankless does that. So maybe <laughs> the message is not for the people listening, but it's, it's happening and people need to stop doing it. If anyone knows a TikToker that can explain a crypto asset in 15 seconds, let us know because we want them on our team. But I'm highly skeptical <laughs> that anyone can actually do that. Again, TikTok is fun, and it, but it's really just just like you said. And there's a reason why like people are explaining, when I, my opinions, less quality assets all the way down to complete outright scams like SafeMoon, because you, they don't want you to explain the truth. They just want you to buy the token. And so of course they go to TikTok where memes are literally it's the breeding grounds of memes. That there's a complete product market fit between pumpamental tokens and TikTok. But do you know what throws people, David, is unless you spend the time, like you and I meme all the time too. ETH is yeah. money. ETH is ultrasound money yeah. is a meme, right? People who have no idea, they hear that. And then then they hear Doge is money. Do- right. Doge is ultrasound money. <laughs> Binance is Ethereum. Binance is the future of finance, mm-hmm. all of these things. And if you're only spending 15 seconds on it, right. those things sound exactly alike. Right. The thing that, that we just say with conviction, because we know why, because we have hours years of like years yeah yep and we have hours of podcasts and we have like all of this information and data backing it at a 15 second like tweet sized um tiktok sized format it sounds exactly the same so look don't Mm -hmm. do anything in this space until you know what you're doing until you know what you're buying that's the that's the meme that's the lesson there
Uh, I remember uh, earlier this week, my uh, my cousin was texting me about uh, crypto assets that, that uh, he should get into. And he, he was like, well, do you know Chainlink? And I'm like, yeah, I know Chainlink. He's like, well, what about Doge? Should I get into jo Doge? And I'm like, no, just Bitcoin and Ether. Start there, just those two. And they're like- So boring, though. Yeah. And, and then so they're like, well, what about Cardano? And I'm like, just Bitcoin and Ether. And I'm like, well, what about this BNB token? I'm like, just Bitcoin and ether and then they just kept on going it's like what about all these tokens like at some point people just like tokens like tokens are product market fit people like to play with tokens and they don't want to hear this boomer advice of just like just the top two assets and nothing else because they don't understand they don't understand and because short term you're probably wrong david yeah, that's true that's I mean, also that's true i'm ready to yeah. i'm ready to take that one <laughs> absolutely all right guys well i hope you've enjoyed the roll-up hope this got you up to speed david and i always have a fantastic time doing it of course none of this is financial advice Make your own decisions with respect to crypto, but this is the journey west. It's not for everyone. We're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Thanks.